going to be looking at Luke 5, verses 1 through 11. And again, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to follow along, and I believe it's also going to, maybe it's not going to be, uh, follow along in your Bibles. On one occasion while the crowd was preaching, I'm sorry, in one occasion while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we have toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down your nets. Now, what I would like to point out before we go any further, the, the way that the um, New English Version reads, but at your word, is also translated by the NIV, because you say so. And that's, that's kind of what I want to hang our hats on this morning. So, because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, for now you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. I mentioned earlier that we would be spending some time in the book of Luke and the book of Acts. But recognizing also, and it's no way in the world with the time that we would have together, uh, even through the rest of the year, that we would be able to cover both books verse by verse. So what I hope we can do is to simply look at the main themes that we find in both books, themes that will eventually help us in our pursuit of Jesus, recognizing his call on our lives as disciples, and who also recognize the call on all of us as his church. If you remember last week, we were reading about an account where Jesus was in Nazareth. And you might remember the fickleness of that crowd as when Jesus had taken the scriptures and he had read from the, the prophet Isaiah. The text reads, they marveled at the grace, gracious words that were coming from his mouth. They were in awe as this man was delivering the very words of the prophet. And so then Jesus sits down and he begins to expound. He begins to teach. And then shortly after Jesus exposes the truth of this prophetic word, we read that they drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of a hill so that they could throw him down the cliff. In one breath praising him and in the next breath condemning him. 
But we also read, as we concluded last week's passage, that Jesus passed through their midst and he went his way. Um, Where did he go from there? Well, he went into Judea, and he was teaching in the synagogues of Judea. And we also read that he went to Capernaum. Now, remember, he was at Capernaum before he went to Nazareth, left Nazareth, went through Judea, and landed again in Capernaum. There in Capernaum, he continued to teach in the synagogue. He was healing the sick, and he was casting out demons. Capernaum became a place where Jesus based a good part of his ministry. It was a center of commerce. It was a fishing community. It was where Peter and Andrew and James and John would launch their boats for their fishing expeditions. We read, again, in response to Jesus' teaching, how the people themselves reacted. They said, we're astonished at his teaching, for his words possess authority. He has developed a reputation in Judea. He has developed, certainly, a reception by the people in Capernaum. There's an interesting, uh, in between the latter part of of chapter 4, there are a number of events that take place, and one of them is really interesting. We read it in Luke 4, 38 and 39. It reads, And he arose and left the synagogue, speaking of Jesus, and he entered Simon's house. That's Peter's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him, appealed to Jesus on her behalf. And he stood over her, and he rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she arose and began to serve them. We can take from this that Jesus was no stranger to Peter. As he had been preaching and teaching in Peter's hometown, as if not stories, maybe even eyewitnesses, Peter sees the miracles, and then does witness a miracle as Jesus comes into his own house and heals his mother-in-law. There's another interesting encounter that Jesus, that Peter has with Jesus, which is recorded in the Gospel of John. John 1, 35 through 7 and 40 through 42 captures this for us. It says, the next day, again, John, that's John the Baptist, was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He, f- he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John, You shall be called Cephas. So we have these several encounters, either in the proximity or the actual uh, face-to-face encounter with Jesus as Peter experienced it prior to this great event on the waters of the Sea of Galilee. I want you to appreciate that because it might give us a little bit of uh, a, a better understanding of why Peter responded the way he did when the invitation to follow him, Jesus, to follow Jesus, was accepted. So we're going to look back at the text itself. 
And we read, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, or the Sea of Galilee. To escape the press of the crowd, the only refuge that Jesus had was to either wade out in the water, or as he did, jumped into a boat, and it happened to belong to Peter. And he asked Peter just to set him offshore, just just a little ways. And as it's done, he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And we read in verse 4, And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. To which Peter replied, (laughs) Master, we have toiled all night and took nothing. Zero. No fish. And you want us to do it again. Peter had good reason to be hesitant about setting out the boat again. His reluctance was fed by this sheer fatigue. Up all night, now having to load the boats again with heavy, wet, tangled nets to set out to do what? To do what they just did the night before, fish and catch nothing. And why try again when they had already combed the familiar fishing holes that they fish time and time again and have harvested before a good catch, but not last night. I think that there are some real similarities between Peter's pause to load it up and try again and the church as it makes excuses of while, uh, for why it's not fishing at all of why the church isn't involved in doing what Jesus instructed Peter to do, to fish, to fish for men. How often have we prayed for the great catch, for a harvest of souls for the sake of Christ? We fished and we fished and we've caught nothing. Why is it That while we have put so much energy and resources in the effort to win the loss, we fail to see any significant or measurable results. In reading this account of Peter's fishing with Jesus, I, for myself anyway, have identified what I believe are the painful and shameful reasons of why the church's nets are empty today. As shared earlier, the reluctance of Peter to go out in the deep waters has several reasons. First, the time wasn't right. As a seasoned fisherman, Peter knew the time you fish is at night. That's when you catch all the fish. And Jesus is asking them to go out now, probably mid to late morning, to catch fish. Consider this. There are only certain times we fish. It's usually Sunday morning or Wednesday evening. Our attempt to capture the hearts of others is often assigned to the times when we meet together as a church, as a fellowship. Little fishing is done outside our established routines. As we fish the same shallow waters over and over again, assuming, hoping, that a new fish or two 
might find their way into our nets. The equipment wasn't ready. Jesus finds them on the shore, tending, mending, untangling, and drying their nets. Well, it seems to me that the church spends a lot of time mending nets. Arranging our tackle box, preparing to go out, but waiting for the right time. How many seminars, Bible conferences, Christian cruises, Christian cruises or discipleship classes do we have to attend before our equipment is ready? Jesus told Peter and the boys to get in their small boats with their tangled, torn, wet, heavy nets for them to again try, try, try again. He sent them out in boats he knew were too small to hold the fish that they were about to catch. I think the problem we have today in our churches is that we're not spending enough time on the water with Jesus. We're just spending time with our tangled nets. The crew was tired. It's quite obvious. Pastor, or <laughs> Jesus, we fished all night. All night we fished. It didn't catch anything. It's been tiring for many of us, as it was in the times of Christ. So it is today. Fishing's hard work. But remember this, we're not alone in the boat. We have the help of those who fish with us, and if we're fishing because Jesus told us to do so, then we have the strength and the endurance that we need to manage the heavy wet nets and the knotted lines. Remember this, if Jesus sends us out, we don't go in our own strength. He is our strength. He is the one who provides the great catch. We are reluctant to risk another disappointing try. Our fruitless, fishless efforts have caused us to become weary and discouraged. As great as a sea is that contains the fish, we see our boats as being too small, our nets being too old, and our success rate pretty discouraging. So we yield to the wake of the bigger boats out there, feeling that they have all the equipment to lure the big catches their way. However, remember, remember this. It's not how many you catch. It's what you catch. Is our fishing simply aimed to filling church pews? Or are we after the ones who are lost to a world and have never heard of Jesus until we have fished in their pools, in their waters. We're not so sure we should be in deep water. <laughs> fishing in ponds or fishing in the ocean. I have one of the greatest illustrations of this, personally. When I was a, a teenage boy, I went fishing with my uncle. And we went to a little pond in Taos Valley, West Virginia. And we had a five-gallon bucket. And we had two or three of them. And after fishing in that pond, we caught enough bluegills to fill all the buckets. It was great. 
Bluegills, pound, pound and a half, maybe two pounds. Caught a lot of them. And then another time, I went fishing with another uncle in Glacier Bay, Alaska. We didn't catch bluegills. We, we, we caught king salmon that weighed anywhere from 15 to 20 pounds. We caught halibut that weighed anywhere from 85 to 130 pounds. I'd rather bring, down, bring home one halibut than a whole bucket full of bluegills. And I think that's what the lesson is here. You can fish for numbers, but that's not what we're after. We're after really the prize, the one who needs Jesus, be it one or two or however many it may be. So we normally don't fish in the deep. We fish in the shallows. But it's the deep water where the fish really are. And it requires more of an effort to get there. It, it takes quite a bit of an effort to get to Glacier Bay, Alaska, as compared to a pond in Taos Valley, West Virginia. So, half-heartedly, Peter says to Jesus, because you say so. Because you say so, I will let down the nets. And we read in verse 16, and when, they lay, and when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. That's a, fish, that's a fishing story, boy. Hmm. They, cat, they caught such a significant number for two primary reasons. Number one, they were obedient to Christ. They were simply obedient to Christ. And number two, they did it together. You did it, they did it together. If you read through this passage of Scripture, you'll see that the, the partnership is accented on two occasions. Peter and Andrew partners with James and John. And Peter summons his partners to come and help. And the partners come together to, to collect the harvest of fish. When this all took place, when it all happened, when the fish were brought in, we read, when Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of, Ze sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Peter, seeing Jesus, first as a teacher, rabbi, and then one who was performing healing miracles, addresses him as master. Then Jesus persuades him to put out in deep, deeper waters. They catch the big fish, and he refers to him as Lord. You see the progression as, Jesus gets, as Peter gets to know Jesus better and better and better? A teacher, a rabbi, a master, someone who can give instructions, then finally a Lord, the one who possesses his life. After one counter of another, after another, Peter discovers who he is. When Peter shouts out, I am a sinful man, O Lord, he is really in many ways saying the same thing that the prophet Isaiah said in his experience in the temple. 
Remember those words, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. By the very vision that Isaiah had, he is humble to the point to confess his sinful nature. It's similar to what Job also experienced. We read, I heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. As we come into the wholeness of who Christ is, it should bring us to our knees, to a point of confession and a desire to repent and to simply do what is asked of us to do. The discovery of life's purpose began with Peter when he said, because you said so, because you say so. I'm sure there are a good number of you who have read the book In His Steps by Charles uh, Shelton, written back in the 1800s. It's a classic. If you don't remember the book, maybe you remember the the slogan or the phrase that was lifted from that book as instructions of how we are to live as Christians. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? WWJD. Remember the bracelets were passed out? What would Jesus do? We as Christians know in most situations what Jesus would do if we are followers of Christ. So I believe really what we need to say, because you say so, what, you, what Jesus would do is what he would tell us to do. So we should do as he says. In simple obedience, we will come to know Jesus and to discover how desperately we need him. As we are invited by the Lord to follow him, like Peter, our response should be the same. Because you say so. I'm going to do it just because you say so. Or if we want to go back again to recognize at your word, but at your word, you can be believed. I am going into the deep waters because you say so. I am going to let down the nets because you say so. I am going to follow you because you say so. Here's some of the things that Jesus said. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Because you say so, I am going to repent. Jesus said, repent and believe in the gospel. Because you say so, I'm going to believe in the gospel. Jesus said, whoever believes is baptized will be saved. Because you say so, I will be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Because you say so, I have everlasting life. Because Jesus said so, because we responded to what he said, brings us into a relationship that carries us through any deep waters we might have to face. It carries us to to receiving blessings that are beyond what we would even imagine. It brings us into the relationship and the fellowship that is to be enjoyed today and to be enjoyed 
forever. Simply doing what he said because he said so. Will you pray with me? Lord, may we be mindful of what is ours if we simply do what you say to do. We know what Jesus would do as followers of Christ. So give us the courage. Give us the will. Give us the way to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.